I'm Aunt Kelly Anakin. And I'm Molly of Mitchell Sanchez. We're here to take birth control and talk about The Handmaid's Tale. And we are all out of birth control. Thanks, Trump. This is Red All Over, your handy Handmaid's Tale recap. Blessed be the fruit. Hey. Hi. We're back. We are back. I mean, not really. He. Like, we recorded all those other episodes yeah. ahead. Those are fun. And then life was crazy. It was. And the world's, like, literally on fire. It's literally on fire. There's ash in my mouth. This is... Okay, so this is the least dire effect of these fires. I want to be very clear. Like, right. I just saw the count today is like 56 dead, mm-hmm. 300 missing. Yeah. I uh, I, I can't. Yeah. This it's is like, this horrendous. is so, as somebody from the Midwest, this is completely outside of my scope yeah. of anything that can happen. Like, it's very surreal, but like seeing that like 300 people missing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Anyway, so we are talking, of course, about the campfire in Northern California in Butte County. Butte? Butt? Butte? Butte, I would imagine Butte. Uh, Anyway, people like butts. Um, (laughs) These horrible fires have been going on for over a week. Mm -hmm. And this happened last year. And it's possible that this may now be an annual occurrence. And we have very bad air quality. And it's not great. I feel completely nuts. And I don't know why, <laughs> but whenever these fires happen, all I can think is, my world's on fire. How, How about, about yours? That's, That's the way I like it and I never get bored. bored. Hey, listen, it's it's not great. Only you no. can prevent forest fires and me getting that song stuck in my head. It's true. Although actually, guess what? You can't prevent forest fires. Like you, Like, you know, you can. Yes, indeed do good things but there's no way of say oh i don't know managing a forest uh in the way certain people mm-hmm. seem to think you can yeah i just i don't know the older i get molly i'm gonna wax <laughs> philosophical here the older that i get the more i feel like people just like where am i going with this oh no. why i should never wax philosophical <laughs> did i mention i might have poison from smoke inhalation in hey. my brain But, you know, it's just like people get so angry about these things that they can't control. And this is on both sides of the political divide. But it's also like people think they can, like, legislate away tragedy and regret. And you can't. Um, To be human is to tragedy and to regret. And that has been Kelly's depressing ass corner. Well, your that, corner's expanding into a cul-de-sac this episode. I was going to say, well, I was going to say, oh, well, now let's get into the episode. But that's more depressing than what I just said. So before we get there, I want to give two quick Venmo shout outs. Uh, you can support us on Venmo.com slash Red All Over. And uh, that's been really great, you guys. I sincerely appreciate you guys donating there, donating to our birthday week causes, our any kind of things that oh, we yeah. have up there. Thanks for sharing your voting pictures. Um, I'm aware I still have to get you your prize. Don't worry. But here's the Venmo shout outs. Today we have two. We have first Devin Mertens. Mertens, I love you. Devin, how's your day today? Are you having a good day? I love that shirt you're wearing. I can't see it, but I can sense it. And it's a beautiful shirt. Uh, I'd also like to shout out Philip Helge. Philip can I call you Philip Helge? I think you're dandy. And I like whatever it is your hair is doing today. I think you took a big chance and you are going to win big. And thank you so much for supporting our podcast. And Philip, Philip Helge, 
you all right okay you are a goddamn delight thank you you are the literal polar opposite of what i just did i know well you know <laughs> that's what we are baby we're the yin and the yang can we talk about what you got me for my birthday oh sure we need to talk about oh black philip plus okay <laughs> so molly gave me my present it is my birthday week Oh boy. As we all know. <laughs> we all know it's my birthday week. I, I will not shut up about it. Did you see that I changed my name on on Twitter to Kelly Shannonikin? Yeah. What is that? After like Shannon. Oh. You know. Oh. The reason for the season, Shannon. Oh boy. It's my birthday week. <laughs> that's so funny. Oh my God. I can't believe you forgot. Sorry, Shannon. Uh, that's hilarious. You what are a, not going to Chili's. What a weird inside well, okay, you joke. You can go, but like, you can't use my gift card. Okay, that's fine. So like, good luck using your tokens or whatever. <laughs> oh my so, God, those are so ugly. I saw an ad for a product <laughs> on Instagram two months ago, and I've never clicked buy faster on something in my life. Uh, I bought you a lapel pin in the shape of a goat that says live deliciously. And it is our old friend. Black, Black Phillip, Phillip from the VVH. Who likes to say, what's thou like the taste of butter? <laughs> yeah. And when I bought it for you, as I was buying it, I'm like, I know she's going to do that voice. I know it's going to scare me. Why would I get this for her? But by then I had already paid shipping. So it's just like, <laughs> like and I want to give a quick shout out to uh, this Orange County, uh, California vendor, Dulce Calaveritas, which is sweet. It means like sugar skulls. Uh, and they, she makes really cool lapel pins that are spooky all year round. And the nice thing is I just finally bought a denim jacket. Like Ooh. I've been trying to find one. I finally got one at Old Navy. Mm-hmm. Cause like I just feel like it's so hard to find a denim jacket, man. Yeah. And even like I like this one. I wish there were more denim jackets that like nipped in at the waist a little bit. Oh yeah. Anyway, anyway, listen, this is a different podcast. We're stalling because today we're talking about something super depressing, but we feel like we couldn't do this gal's guide to Gilead without touching on it. But today we're going to be talking on the real life inspirations for the events in The Handmaid's Tale. AKA Kelly and Molly read out loud from Wikipedia. Woo. So if you've ever said something like, I would listen to y'all read the phone book. Um, good news. You are about to get it today. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> we Philip Helge is somewhere sitting like, I did not donate to Venmo for this. <laughs> we shall refrain from reading all the footnotes. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do our best to listen, make this Listen, you know we're going to have some hilarious mispronunciations, or as I like to say, mispronunciations. Oh boy. Get it? <laughs> Look out. We'll try. Okay. So, we're so gonna- do you want to talk a little bit about the criteria for saying that these are what's behind the handmaid's? Yes, story? because we couldn't cite these in quite the same way that we have cited <laughs> some of the things in the past. Right. Um, but it also saved our marriage. It did. <laughs> oh boy. Uh-huh. So basically, we looked at interviews with the creative team behind the show mm-hmm. um, and they called out a couple of specific instances right. where they drew from real life events mm-hmm. as well as some interviews with Margaret Atwood and other materials where people had kind of talked about these parallels. And then in a couple of cases, we just like from our own knowledge, from our own wealth of historical knowledge, right. we were like, well, you know, this concept is a lot like this or like this right. event in Gilead is similar to this. Right. So it's a little bit more slapdash, but I'm really, I'm really pleased with the results and what we put together. I think we have 
it's not comprehensive, but we right. touch on a lot of the big ones. And I'll give credit where credit is due. I did a lot of the research for the first two to three episodes of this, and Kelly like brought it home with this one. She did the not the lions the gorilla share of, of research uh for this guy. i do i do just want to point out that like the vast majority of it was just like copying and pasting descriptions from wikipedia so okay. like it's not like so the real mastery will be can she paraphrase this no i cannot <laughs> uh maybe I, look actually this was like this is our bread and butter on my other podcast okay is like copy pasting and being like we're gonna make this cool but That's- it's usually not this depressing <laughs> Well, um, we'll try. We've talked about some depressing stuff, but usually not this density in this like short period, right. period of time. Well, let's dive right in. You can go ahead with the odds and I'll do the evens. Okay, great. Just like, I was going to say just like in pool, but that's stars, stars and stripes. It's not stars and stripes. Solids and stripes. Solids and stripes. Solids and stripes. The smoke. <laughs> Chernobyl. Right. Woo. 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 <laughs> Bringing it back to the Reagan yeah. era. Oof. So Chernobyl is a city. It still exists. And it is in uh, northern Kiev Oblast, which is my favorite spice girl. (laughs) And it is near Ukraine's border with Belarus. And oh, dear, this is all in metric. This is not important. Not important. (laughs) Not important. Not important. What happened there? So other than the annual Chernobyl Churro Festival, which we all have been to. Not true. I was like, how do you say churro in Russian? Chernobyl. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so it was disestablished as the center of the Chernobyl rayon or district in 1988, uh, pretty much because the whole city was evacuated Yikes. on the 27th of April in 1986, a whole 30 hours after the Chernobyl disaster oh at the gosh. Chernobyl nuclear power plant. I don't know that it's still the most disastrous nuclear accident because of Fukushima, which Mm -hmm. we'll be talking about later. Mm -hmm. But there was a whole city called Pripyat that was built as a place for all of the power plant workers to live. So like a company town. Mm -hmm. And everybody kind of got diverted into Ivankiv. But then there was a whole other city (laughs) called Slavyuch. You're doing great. Thank you. Which was built for everyone who was evacuated from Pripyat. So like basically like all of these cities got evacuated into other cities. And today Chernobyl is a ghost town. Jeez. Um, there are a few people who still live there in houses that say owner of this house lives here. Um, I'm not completely sure why, like if it's a situation where like, I think they have to be specific that they're not squatters. Oh, I see. Um, uh-huh. And yeah, so there is a hotel there for tourists. Um, what a weird. Now, uh, do you know? I know I don't see this on here, but do you know? Is it still uh, contaminated? I would assume so. Um, I, I find like morbid tourism to be so troubling. Oh my God, thank you. Because I, yeah. so many of what. The things that we're going to talk about are places or, you know, and specifically because I just listened to a podcast about Anne Frank recently and it really mm-hmm. messed me up um, as Anne Frank's story always does. Sure. But um, just I don't like I don't know. I don't I don't understand why you would go. Well, like to, I to, like kinda, the Anne Frank house or to no, to the, I'm sorry. No, to like Auschwitz. Yeah, I'm like, not sure that to I would go to Auschwitz. Either. Like 
that makes me like start to hyperventilate and like and i'm not saying that it shouldn't be there but like i don't know it just seems like the kind of thing is like don't bring your phone in like don't take photos in auschwitz Mm -hmm. it's just creepy and same to the people who are like staying in this hotel in chernobyl i'm just just not sure what you get though i agree with you too i think it's important to keep places like this there so that we remember our history i agree i completely agree with you there but then like just it's just like the tourism of the macabre yeah and i'm not talking about how i like to go on ghost tours that's so different when i visit different cities uh sidebar i went on one uh in san francisco that was really good oh really yeah it was um, unfortunately it was right in my neighborhood ah! so uh, i'm terrified now um there's a comedian named cara tramontano who gave me a great one also in your neighborhood so probably a lot of the same stuff oh, yeah. yeah well let's come here notes afterward all right so do we find out if chernobyl is still a, a- I, yes indeedy radiation levels around the plant range so high that authorities do not expect the area to be inhabitable for between 120 and 320 years. So what are those people doing there? Uh, no, they're they're not. They said there's like two people living there. There's two general look, stores and a hotel. That's on them, man. Jeez like, Louise. Look, there's people walking around in this know, terrible air with no masks on. Yikes. Wow. Well, that's interesting. Um, so what do you think is... Well, also not to, not to be even more depressing. So in the interest of containing Chernobyl, they built this cement containment sarcophagus, which is a fun word to say for a horrible concept. This crew went in there and were in there among all of this radiation. So God only knows what's happened to them. Um, That is weakening. And so if that collapses, there is going to be Chernobyl 2 nuclear boogaloo. Oh, no. Yeah. So I don't know. Just like maybe we weren't supposed to split the atom. Like crazy idea. Yikes. So what do you think this has to do with the Handmaid's Tale? So we hear all the time about the colonies mm. and how people are there cleaning up all the nuclear waste. Mm. Um, part of me feels like there is a possibility that maybe some of it's not really nuclear waste. And it's just like this weird cover story where they're like, oh, you're going to go. You know, like, it's it's like how people make up, you know, Krampus to scare children. Right. But what's wrong with that land if not nuclear waste? No, no, no. I, but I'm saying, you know, it... Um, In the colonies, I mean. Right. I think it's more likely that it is radioactive, but I also think that there is a case to be made for Gilead being like, oh, like, you know how in holes they had to dig all the holes? Yeah. But just being like, oh, go go dig out here because it's radioactive Yeah, or when they're like, you got to go yeah. dig those holes. I love Broken hands and withered souls. Louis Sakar? Sakar? Anyway. Sakar, yeah. Yeah. Sideways stories from Wayside School. Mm, love mm. it. Love him. So th- th- this is how we're going to keep it light. By yeah. Recommending children's well, authors. And it's interesting, too, because I think initially you didn't want to include Chernobyl in this list because it happened in 1986. And as we know, Handmaid's Tale came out in 1985. Mm-hmm. So technically... Chernobyl didn't necessarily influence the writing of The Handmaid's Tale, but it certainly influenced the TV production. It certainly influenced the TV production. And again, one of the things that Margaret Atwood comes back to over and over and over again is that she does not write science fiction. She writes speculative fiction. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's inspired by things that have already happened or things that are possible. Mm -hmm. So this is a situation where, oh, this thing was possible and then it happened. And Mm -hmm. in this time period, there were a lot of conversations happening around nuclear disarmament. 
and what are the actual implications uh, of uh-huh. nuclear power and it would it would have been in the air so to speak this idea of nuclear contamination uh, and just we had never and there had been meltdowns and that kind of thing right. previously we just had never seen anything on this scale so that is that's where chernobyl comes from boys and girls it comes from chernobyl Next, we're going to talk about comfort women. Mm. So, comfort women are women and girls. Forced. It's just going to keep getting worse. Yeah, every it's time. it's a hard. It's going to be a hard episode. To yeah, listen so just to. like don't feel don't feel like you have a don't feel like you have to listen to yeah. this. You uh, can know about this. It's okay, uh, and there are yeah. certainly articles that do this. Oh yeah, kind there's of, plenty, but like you know, but also you know, take a break, you, do your thing. Yeah, but I think that this context is is important to. Our understanding of The Handmaid's Tale because Margaret Atwood is so careful to take inspiration from mm-hmm. real life. And uh, just kind of to remind us that The Handmaid's Tale yeah, is it's, only it, tenuously fiction. Well, and it's like The Handmaid's Tale isn't relevant because of what's going on right now. The Handmaid's Tale is relevant because women have always been exploited. Mm-hmm. Humanity's mm. technological reach has always exceeded our grasp. Mm-hmm. We're this weird hubristic race of dumbass meat sacks <laughs> who kind of don't know when to quit when we're ahead. Yeah. And I think so, oh, so much of this feeds into this idea that it's just like, we just can't leave well enough alone. Yeah. And anyway, speaking of, leaving people alone molly why don't you tell us about comfort women so comfort women are women and girls forced into sexual slavery by the imperial japanese army in occupied territories before and during world war ii uh so these are women who were used for military comfort stations from burma thailand vietnam malaysia and taiwan and all over and so these women are taken from their homes in japan and They are lured sometimes with the promise of work in factories. And what ends up happening is they're in sexual slavery. And so uh, I don't think you need to have a history degree to see how this connects with The Handmaid's Mm -hmm. Tale. Uh, Because sexual slavery is as sexual slavery does. uh, And The Handmaid's Tale is a book about sexual slavery. So that certainly makes sense. And I know Maggie Etz has said specifically that comfort women were part of yeah part and of so this. what is interesting is that in 2016 i remember when this happened uh, yeah japan actually had a public apology mm-hmm. to south korea in particular um about comfort women yes and you know actually just this year um there was another a call for another one but it's like i think we have just got to do more of this apologizing for the past like my mm-hmm. relatives are all like, you know, feeling a disturbance in the force right now. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, if you don't acknowledge the things that went wrong in the past mm-hmm. and things that you don't ever want to see happen again, I just, I don't know how we ever get better. Right. And I, think as humanity, we kind of came up against this comfort women debate really hyper locally uh, in 2017 when San Francisco unveiled a comfort woman a memorial Mm -hmm. statue and it's just like it just it reminds me a lot in a very different way of the like kerfuffle we're having about tearing down um confederate Confederate monuments it's like yes i don't want to pretend that confederate soldiers weren't a thing but Mm -hmm. i also there's such a big difference between hugely memorializing something 
Well, and the other thing about Confederate statues in particular is most of them were not erected in the wake of the Civil War. They're in the wake of Jim Crow. Yeah, they're in the wake of Jim Crow and times when racist whites wanted to shore up their base of other racist whites. Mm -hmm. You know, in the wake of D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation, Mm -hmm. when everybody was like, oh my God, remember the Ku Klux Klan? (laughs) Let's get that shit going again. (laughs) That's a reboot we didn't need, America. And I was talking about this with my brother, who's like 13 years younger than me, and he was talking about this Confederate statue and saying that people, people like focus on the wrong things. He's like, nobody even knows who this guy is. I'm like, but like, you have to understand, like, can you put yourself in the shoes of a black person living in America? Yeah. And in whatever context it is that you're encountering this statue, like, oh, this person thought I should be property. Right. And there are people still who don't think I'm fully human. And, as a society, we have to send a message and be like, this isn't okay. The South for sure lost the war. I mean, that's the real issue in America is like the Civil War just never ended. Right. It just kept going. Right. And, and you know, it's been this sort of weird guerrilla warfare for the last hundred years. So uh, to bring that back to the comfort women, it's like women and girls are such a huge casualty of of war. Mm-hmm. Of every Even war. Even though they're not on the front lines themselves. Mm-hmm. They're like you know, ancillary casualties in a big, big way that rocks generations. Well, and you know, that's part of warfare. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, particularly part of total war is raping civilians. Oh, yeah. And it's just always collateral damage. And again, Mm -hmm. what comfort women and what, um, you know, the Handmaid's Tale and even sort of like kind of today you know people who are like incels and talk about like enforced monogamy and making sure that you assign a woman to somebody so he doesn't drive a van into a bunch of people is the like undisputed assumption that we're not people yeah the undisputed assumption that we are property and that we should be subject to men's whims and it is ridiculous all right on a lighter note what (laughs) russian labor camps Oh boy! (laughs) Get ready. We're talking about the gulag. This was the government agency in charge of the Soviet forced labor camp system that was created under Lenin. Mm -hmm. Um, And boy, you know who really took it to the next level? (laughs) Man of Steel himself, Joseph Stalin. Oh boy. And in English, we say gulag to refer to any forced labor camp in the Soviet Mm -hmm. Union. But the official gulag was the agency um so there were all kinds of prisoners in the gulags you had petty criminals to political prisoners and there there would be just these sort of like blanket convictions you know essentially a kangaroo court like that's something i try not to like overuse (laughs) um you know except in cases that are like obvious such as in um you know the dark knight rises i knew you were gonna (laughs) say that i was like i was mentally counting down i'm like five four Mm, that killian murphy he could could put me in his pouch any day Uh, you don't like him no, I find him weird looking. Interesting. Well, cool. Then that's more Killian Murphy more for, you, for babe. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a major instrument of political repression in the Soviet Union. I first really learned the word gulag. There is a book called The Gulag Archipelago Ooh. written by a man. I should know this because my ex read it like 17 times Ooh. in the 10 years that we were together. Um, but look, history and stuff, that was 
That was their department. <laughs> Alexander Solzhenitsyn? Oh, yes. Solzhenitsyn. Oh, yes. All right, Solzy. He was in the gulag and he survived and he wrote about it. And um, ah, let's see. So they were established in 1918. So if you've seen Fiddler on the Roof, mm-hmm. I think that predates the gulag as we know them because they were just like oh guess what you live in siberia now incidentally the film fiddler on the roof is so freaking good oh like cinematography wise it holds up so well it's like three hours long though so it's like a commitment (laughs) so like be prepared so they opened these camps in 1918 they were legalized so they were like oh whoopsie we didn't fill out our permits (laughs) you know so sorry papa lennon they legalized them on april 15th 1919 so tax day um, that was a joke, Molly, about tax day. Uh, mm. Sorry. I'm trying to keep it live. I was traumatized by this whole thing that I couldn't. <laughs> they reached a population of 100,000 in the 1920s. Yikes. And the wow. yearly, oh, listen, hold on to your butts. The yearly mortality rate in the concentration camps strongly varied. They reached 5% in 1933 and 20% between 1942 to 1943. Um, which is super interesting given that that is after the end of World War II, which you have to figure from the perspective of like sending people to a forced labor camp. Yeah. Real exciting time for Joseph Stalin after <sighs> having, you know, abandoned the Axis powers and joining up with the Allies. Like, Yikes. Ugh, how do you how do you keep your people <laughs> straight at that point? That was during World War II. I made a whoopsie okay. about the year. So once the war ended, it dropped. But it was like during that period, it was very fraught and funky, um, as you can read about in the not good novel, Sashenka. <laughs> so this reminds us of the colonies, yes? Yes. Really, this is a very colonies heavy episode. Yeah. Um, because uh, they, listen, uh, there have been a lot of labor camps. Yeah. A lot of, lot of places for people to send people who disagree with them to go and work and die. Yeah, very scary. So unsurprisingly, because people are terrible everywhere, uh, labor camps existed all over and there are a few... they still do. They like, still do, let's, yeah. Let's not... And I mean, again, let's not uh, leave the good old USFA out. Oh, of course. There are Manzanar. currently... Um, well, yeah, but also just like right now, there are prisoners fighting these wildfires making less than $2 a day <sighs> who, if they survive this and s- survive the prison system, will not be eligible to be firefighters when they get out. Uh. So... Though, you know what? Smash Mouth was right. The world is on fire. Mm-hmm. And you know what, Smash Mouth? That is not the way I like it. No. And I do get bored. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm more angry than bored. And but- I feel like you told me that all that glitters is gold. And I'm finding that not to be the case. No, sometimes there's platinum and diamonds. Shooting and stars silver. don't make the most. The shooting stars don't. They're just pretty. Yeah. They're gone. You, get, you know, you got to go outside and look at them with your, wow. with your peepers. Anyhow, uh, so Peepers is what I call binoculars now. Ah, apparently, I'm gonna need them. <laughs> uh, anyhow, so uh, labor camps exist today, and the some of the ones that she might have taken inspiration from are sort of there are Chinese labor camp prisons that are which is called Laogai, which sounds fun, but uh, is but not. is not fun. Is not. It and means reform through labor, mm-hmm, and which uh, is very Auschwitzy. Yeah. Yes. Um, I mean, and then there's, of course, Thai labor camps. Oh, and this whole, this whole, everything uh, operates under this assumption that 
you'll get better through hard labor. But it's like, it's just like you were talking about with the firefighters. It's like, but then what after that? Mm-hmm. Like you are a broken person. Well, I mean, no one the- is like, I'm the man I am today because of forced labor penitentiary. Well, but I mean, in a lot of cases, these are things that are happening in very restrictive governments, i.e. China, i.e. where you can't use real Google, where I don't, you know, I don't know that they call it thought crime right. anymore, but like, you know, having negative opinions about the state Mm-hmm. and doing anything that would defy the state like that's mm-hmm. what they're trying to quash like they don't care if you're quote unquote successful you know it's it's about right. making sure that you don't make trouble right it's not an issue of like oh you know what you weren't doing so great but yeah. then you went to i mean like yes that is the story it's not an actual like uh, building moral fiber exactly <laughs> And I do want to stipulate for those of you who speak Chinese, um, although I'm not totally sure which dialect this is, but uh, Lao Gai is different from Lao Jiu, which is re-education. So it's like reform versus re-education. So that is, I think, a little bit uh, less severe, but they Mm -hmm. did both involve penal labor. So I don't know how exactly they differentiate those two. Um, good news though, in 1994, Lao Gai camps were renamed prisons. They were like, oh, we got to rebrand. Just like that. Ep- they saw that episode of Madman with the, with the <laughs> dog food. And there were also Thai labor camps. Yeah. The Thai labor camps are like horrifyingly contemporary. So just to be clear, um, this system of punishment is still going on in China. And Al Jazeera English published their findings about it and they were expelled from China because China's super great at allowing um, multiple viewpoints to exist <laughs> within its borders. Whew. Okay, Thai labor camps. So this is from 2015. There is a trade in human cargo that is basically slavery. Men and women who are there, an ethnicity called Rohingya, which is a Muslim ethnicity, and they're fleeing apartheid in Myanmar. And they basically are easy prey because traffickers, you know, posing as people with boats. I mean, they have boats. Yeah. It's true. But they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll take you to Malaysia. There's so many Muslims. You'll blend right in. You're going to be fine. Um, But then, oh, no, they put them on a boat and take them to secret prisons in Thailand. Great. So if you survive the horrible boat voyage, I mean, you are like, this is like the middle passage. You're crammed Mm -hmm. into the boats. These camps are hidden in the jungle. There are daily beatings. And if you're a woman, rape. And I'm sure if you're a man, there's some rapes happening as well. And they basically extort your relatives for money. At this time, it was about $2,000 to save them. Yikes. Nobody did anything about this until the 2010s basically um there's an organization called fortify rights it was founded by a guy named matthew smith and they have specialized in documenting the plight of rohingya muslims um so there are some of these camps that have like 2,000 people and they're they're it's like a network like they're dotted all over like they're small enough to like quote unquote fly under the radar Mm -hmm. and authorities in thailand have known about this for a long time and it's again it's not like people don't know that this is going on Mm -hmm. it's just that this persecuted muslim minority is not important to thai officials and it's not important to international officials wow and i mean obviously 
because there's apartheid in Myanmar, they're like, great, get him out of here. And so there's no there's no checks or balances on that end. What does this remind you of? This reminds me of basically when they were doing the roundups of the fertile women. You know, and I think we don't really hear stories, though, about women trying to get out and then having been betrayed yeah and that which is really happens. interesting that that hasn't come up either in the book or the show i agree because when you were talking about these- there's this there's this like very noble uh mm-hmm. attitude toward the underground female road but you know there's some scumbags in there who are like oh underground female road absolutely i'll help you out absolutely and that is horrifying because that would just be such a like out of the frying pan into the fire yeah sort of thing if you were an escaped handmaid and what i'm also surprised um that we haven't seen yet is people trying to kidnap um handmaids back and then sell them back to their relatives mm-hmm. i'm really surprised we haven't seen that that's just such like a i wonder if it's you mean just, like in canada like bringing them to canada mm-hmm, yeah I wonder if it's just like, I mean, and, and I'm sure this is the answer is like, they are, there is so much to cover that they just don't have There's time. There's so much to cover, but also just logistically mm-hmm. in universe, we've seen how difficult it was to get out at the time right. of, um, at the time that Luke and June were trying to get out. Right. I mean, you, they mowed down the other refugees yeah. that Luke was with and most of them didn't make it out. Right. You can only imagine that border security is even tighter oh, yeah. now that Gilead has control in most regions yeah. um, of what was formerly the United States. Oof. So to me, the idea of somebody getting in or even because like, you know, we know that the attache of that Mexican ambassador uh-huh. was sympathetic, but like he was not in a position to get somebody out. Right. Like it would be really, really difficult. Yeah. I mean, Unless you're Martha's. Maybe the Martha's have been smuggling people out this whole time. But seeing those set pictures, I'm not so sure. Um, well, <laughs> season three gonna be uplifting. JK, it's not. All right. So the next bullet point we have to talk about is the Iranian Revolution, also known as the Islamic Revolution or the 1979 Revolution. No one knows why it's called that. They why? do. They do, because it's in 1979. Um, Incidentally, they were inspired by the song 1979 by the Smashing oh, Pumpkins. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a great song, and but not worth, <laughs> certainly not worth all this kerfuffle. Um, lives were lost, Sanchez. Get it the fuck together. Look, this is gallows humor, folks. Gallows humor. <laughs> uh, the Marthas get it. Yeah. So this is sort of a, a series of events involving the overthrow of years and years of continuous Persian monarchy. And uh, the eventual replacement with an Islamic Republic under the Grand Ayatollah Khomeini, who led this revolution and who uh, was supported by leftists, Islamist organizations and students. So this is going on in 1977. Get it. And it's both secular and religious sort of backgrounds. Yeah, this is a very complicated thing. It's more complicated than just like this is a labor camp. We know what happens in a labor camp. Right. So the Iranian revolution was a bit odd to me because it was a theocratic revolution that actually had strong left-wing support. So in Iran, the right wing consisted of pro-Western forces, essentially. Mm -hmm. So these are people, they want to play with the West. They want to take the money 
that the West wants to give them for oil and, you know, be more like people on the European continent, be more like Americans. And there are these other people who want to return to their Islamic roots. They want to shut out this international commerce and kind of take back what they view as their right to their own country. They feel that these foreign influences have been corrupting. Okay. And they want to get that out. So it's a bit odd because it is a theocratic situation. If you want to read more about this, you can read the books um, Reading Lolita in Tehran ah. and Persepolis, the graphic mm. novel. The movie is also quite good. And uh, there's a sequence in there that always helps me when I break up with someone. So despite the fact that these are sort of radical left-wing people, you also have a very socially conservative strain running through here because once the Ayatollah takes power, Women are not allowed to wear makeup anymore. Mm. Everyone has to wear the hijab. Things become not optional. You know, if you if you live in the country, it's basically kind of like assumed that you're Muslim and that you adhere to this very specific brand of Islam that is promoted and approved by the Ayatollah. Mm-hmm. Um, Westerners mm. were basically kicked out. Another thing that's interesting is it was basically nonviolent. There was not really much in the way of death or destruction um, because it it came about by voting on this national referendum to become an Islamic Republic. Mm, Okay. Um, So it it happened legally. And I find this terrifying for like so many reasons, which we will get into shortly. But the people wanted this. Mm -hmm. There was a majority of the people who wanted this. And, you know, the, the monarchy had collapsed in February then they had this referendum in April. So it was a very short period of time. Oh, wow. But basically, the the quote-unquote official troops of the country that were under, uh, at the time, the king was Mohammad Reza Shah Pahlavi. I'm sorry, everyone who is uh, from Iran. I'm sure I mispronounced that. I'm sorry, the Shah, not the king. <sighs> wow, I find that shocking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so everybody was shocked. Like, nobody thought this would happen. And again, like, if you check out the books that I recommended, like, Mm -hmm. the people involved were like, yeah, 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 this isn't going to happen. Like, this is going to be fine. Like, oh, my gosh, these are it's a fringe element. Mm -hmm. It's not widespread. You know, we're going to vote. We're going to get the Shah back in here or like we'll come to like a different kind of republic. It's going to be fine. But the, the thing that was really weird is that it was like a financially stable time. Really? Everybody was doing well financially. You know, they had a tremendous amount of, like, intellectuals and scientists. You know, this was a very, it was a very with-it nation. (laughs) And they were doing, um, you know, they were holding their own with the Western world and Uh also, you know, with more Eastern parts of Asia. And everybody voted to... um, be a, a theocracy. Wow. And yeah, and that's still going on today. And so if you go to Iran, um, you Which have you to... probably shouldn't. Uh, I, don't, like, I don't know. I don't know enough about it. I don't know. I don't know if you're a visitor from the West, like how you'll be received. So I don't want to mm. make any travel recommendations right. based on my own ignorance. But like, you know, you have to wear the hijab. You have to have a male escort mm-hmm. if you're a woman. Like there's just... You know, you you are a second class citizen as a woman because it's based on the guardianship of the Islamic jurists. This whole thing, I think this whole thing totally reminds me of the takeover of the Sons of Jacob. Absolutely. About how like 
that's it's kind of this quiet why I included it thank you this like quiet fringe coming in and sort of under the auspice of setting things back right mm-hmm. the way that they should be and having like we saw in those wonderful episodes with serena joy and the university like kind of slowly people came to her side mm-hmm. little by little by little and then how it just kind of was like a sleeper hit that's what reminds me of it and what i find interesting is i do remember in um uh, Whitford's house there's a copy of Persepolis yes so yes that's, there is now I feel like I'm making the connection between uh him sort of like evaluating his role it was Mouse I don't think it was was there also I believe a copy I of also Persepolis? saw okay. Persepolis Whitford likes a good graphic novel he loves it <laughs> um, Not, or I guess a graphic memoir so to me cases. that would be like he was evaluating the sons of Jacob's uh role in things from a different perspective Mm -hmm. uh which is very interesting i mean i'm really curious to get more from him yeah me too because it's like were you ever a true believer or were you sort of like a cynical operator yeah he's obviously had some kind of break Mm -hmm. yeah from the party yeah he's a bit of a loose cannon right we don't know what he's up to (laughs) yeah that's thank you so much for taking over that yeah yeah no it's like it's a lot struggling and and i didn't want to sound it's hard to parse so i think you did it beautifully we're taking really really dense subjects and breaking them down to like we're like below like you know iranian revolution for dummies here it's like hey yeah, listen yeah. to this on your commute i have a bachelor's from san francisco state university like i have I'm- a bachelor's from wright state university hey. um and i did not necessarily do great in my uh general education requirements <laughs> <laughs> want to move on to the next one yes would you like to take this one sure since i bogarted uh all the fun of the iranian revolution <laughs> oh you <laughs> you really took that any round with it um <laughs> oh boy <laughs> This is something that I will say gets bandied about a bunch in uh, discussions of The Handmaid's mm-hmm, Tale. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, for a good reason, but I, sometimes I don't like to sit in on those discussions too long because it's like, oh, hey, hi, you're like, uh, you're like Judeo-Christian bias is showing. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Well, you know who hates to hear that? What? Uh, people with a Judeo-Christian bias. Oh, my God. If there's That's one thing they hate. Oh, oh gosh. Boy. They sure hate that. Oh, they oh. don't like it. They don't like it. Woo. Not Uh, at all. So the next thing we're going to talk about is the Islamic hijab. This is, of course, the sort of modesty veil that certain Muslims wear, Muslim women wear to cover their uh, their heads. And it can be there's a lot of different ways. Like hijab is the is the modesty law. Oh, okay. Um, it, It often gets conflated with the garment. Oh, I see. Um. But the garments themselves, it's like there's there's a, a lot of different degrees here. Like you can just wear a headscarf. Uh-huh. Maybe you have to wear a headscarf and a veil. Maybe you are in a full head-to-toe uh, burqa. Right. No different from any other religion. There are a lot of different ways to practice mm-hmm. Islam. Right. Yeah. And so it is sort of this particular head covering is sort of trying to in keep with the uh the idea of the quran to be very modest in public and to cover your hair uh in that way and i love this quote from the quran and oh ye believers turn ye all together towards god and ye may attain bliss i mean hey (laughs) i like the bliss spa i can see i can see 
how the prophet Muhammad is a very convincing speaker. But it goes yeah. on to say, O prophet, tell thy wives and thy daughters and the women of the believers to draw their cloaks close around them. That will be better so that they may be recognized and not harassed. God is forever forgiving, merciful. Right. So as with all sacred scriptures, you can adhere to the letter of the law here or you can be like, eh. God's probably fine if we just put something on our head. It'll it'll be cool. It'll God's fine with it. It says right here he's forgiving, merciful. What else do you want out of a God? <laughs> right. And so it clearly I think we can draw an easy parallel between the notion of covering your head to be godly and modest to Handmaid's Tale. Mm-hmm. Uh because that's sort of the whole conceit of these outfits and if you watch the Handmaid's Tale movie even the wives wear veils. Um so these outfits are supposed to be modesty and to protect you from the gaze. I would say uh, Maggie at sort of yes ands the hijab with the huge, uh, you know, the modesty bonnet. And that's, you know, that is a fair parallel. But what makes me mad is when I listen to these discussions of, again, super like Judeo-Christian people and they're like, people who wear hijabs are already living the handmaid's tale it's disgusting islam is so oppressive and it's just like you don't know what you're talking about you don't know it's just like it makes me mad because i don't think that i think that's such a a nuanced understanding it is and it makes me even angrier Mm -hmm. because islam is an abrahamic religion it shares the same root as judaism and christianity Mm mm-hmm and we have othered it. Mm-hmm. I mean, essentially, I'm making a broad generalization. Mm-hmm. We've essentially othered it because the people who practice Islam, many of them have darker skin. Totally. And uh, I can't. I can't. And and I think a nuance that we're missing is that, you know, there are people who practice christianity and judaism who cover their heads for modesty as well so this is not a holy like islamic belief at all and some people who wear all of those Mm -hmm. head coverings are doing it because they really like it and Mm -hmm. they want to and so it's not so cut and dry as the handmaid's tale where it's not like we're just opting to wear these hats we're actually being oppressed like it doesn't necessarily the hijab does not necessarily have to mean oppression anymore than any other head covering there are certainly subsects of islam just like there are subsects of christianity Mm -hmm. and judaism Mm -hmm. where people are attempting to control and oppress women right um we can't ignore that you know you know what i always say where there's organized religion there's oppression of women oh, oh we're gonna for the church of the flying spaghetti poster. <laughs> and even then i'm sure no, there's some actually dicks. uh atheists are assholes to women oh yeah but quick shout out before we move on from this topic i'd like to give a shout out to people who i know are listeners jk i wish they were but the first two muslim women elected to serve in the house of representatives give it up for democrats rashida talib of michigan and Iyan omar of minnesota Woo! fantastic i just hope this progressive wave of legislators outpaces the horribly regressive wave of legislators uh, and that's all we can hope. Yeah. Okay. So, cool. do you feel good about hijab? I sh- well, <laughs> yes. I, I mean, feel I wanna, like we covered it adequately. Well, I want to talk just real quickly about some of the more specific things. Hijab translates into English as veil, mm-hmm. and they think that it was created by God. 
to secure Muhammad's privacy and then to sort of basically put a barrier between public and private spheres of his life. So God was really into the work-life balance. Which is great. Yeah, which is great. Again, that's a God I can get behind. And it's actually applied to both men and women. Oh, So this is something that we Westerners don't know. Definitely I did not, not know until right now. Well, okay, when I copied and pasted this and then I forgot about it. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's it's the same thing as modesty in any other religion. It's just like, hey, like, I I am a person who deserves respect and I am going to respect myself. I am going to have this barrier between what is private between me, my God, maybe my sexual partner mm-hmm. and my family. Like, this is for us. This is not for anybody else. Mm-hmm. Now, a man's hijab is not to cover his hair in the way that it is for women, they just have to cover their navel to knee area. Mm. So as long as their junk is covered, mm-hmm. dudes are doing great. And then the other thing that I thought was really interesting was that hijab is also a metaphor. It, oh. it relates to um, behaviors. So, uh. and I, I don't know enough to like give you any examples. Cause again, mm-hmm. I'm reading Wikipedia out loud for everyone's <laughs> benefit here. But you know, I mean, again, it's, it's more than this thing we're like, oh, it's just this fail. It's it's a whole code of conduct, and it's a promise that you make to yourself. So it's a promise that you make to God. I'm going to piggyback off of this briefly to something that Margaret Atwood talked about when I saw her Ooh. in Cincinnati, and she talked about the handmaid's outfits were really more than anything inspired by Victorian era garments mm. because just, you know, the female body was so sensual. Mm. It had to be covered up. And she talked about, oh, there was a lot of leering at ankles <laughs> in those days. Um, you know, the, the bonnet existed to keep men from leering, but also to protect women from the leering, like, you Mm -hmm. know, putting blinders on. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's also in some cases, uh, the purpose of the hijab is kind of to like shield Muslim people from Western influence, women specifically. Oh, that's really interesting. I would also read, and I'm sure it exists a lengthy like analysis of like how women's hair is so um regulated it's regulated it's sexualized it's idealized it should be one of those books like that lady writes like stiff what's her name mary Mary roach yeah i'd read it mary roach get on i don't know what you're doing but get on this right away yep call it a do about the updo (laughs) much ado about the updo call it quaff Quaff. i'm just gonna pitch a bunch of (laughs) coffee uh that's so interesting thank you all right, you want to go into this next one? Religion-based gender segregation. <laughs> so there are a lot of religions that have traditionally practiced sex segregation. We're going to mm-hmm. talk in a little bit of detail about some of them. In very traditional Jewish synagogues, the women's section is separated from the men's section by a wall or a curtain called a mechitza. Mm. I'm sorry, Jewish friends. I <laughs> will. Look this up on Jewish Pronunciationopedia. Men are not permitted. Wikipedia. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> you just got to be very guttural with it. Okay. So men are not permitted to pray in the presence of women to prevent distraction. Because ah, uh, don't you hate it when you're trying to talk to God and you pop a boner? Uh, Story my life. The mechitza. I'm not going to do it well. I don't have enough. <laughs> yeah, but that's interesting because um that reminds us of the handmaid's tale because in all of the um the big group scenes except for the execution i think of eden and um isaac isaac i was like am i making that up some white boy name some white boy name yeah (laughs) peter damn it um i 
classic is like a little bit less common, I think, these days. Mm. I could be wrong. Prove me wrong, America. They're not going to. I feel like that was mixed gender there, but maybe I'm wrong. Because I no, feel I like Eden's right. dad was sitting behind Eden's mom and sister. No, I think you're um, right. But at the wedding, of mm-hmm. the mass wedding, mm-hmm. I believe all the women were sitting with each other. The men were separated. And in the book, they talk about this as yeah. well. So it's very much like... And even just, you know, the if the men do any kind of worship outside of sort of presiding over these ceremonies in their homes, mm-hmm. you know, we don't see that. But we do see, you know... Most of the sort of religious ceremonies the women perform happen exclusively with other women. Mm, um, unless true. it's in reference to the actual ceremony. Right. Very interesting. Oh, yeah. And we talk about um, enclosed religious orders are usually segregated by gender. We don't see reli- – obviously, they've murdered everyone um, in the religious orders in Gilead. But uh, it did make me think of the aunts. Yes. And they're interesting, though, because it's like they are – segregated but they do have a lot more uh truck with the commanders yeah in the same way that like a catholic nun can kind of go like talk to a priest yeah um and then islam also has uh restrictions on interaction between men and women um again this is not necessarily every like denomination Mm -hmm. i mean particularly in judaism like judaism has a lot of uh substration Mm -hmm. in terms of like all the different rules right. and, and kind of how people interpret the sacred texts and what that means for their day-to-day life. But mosques frequently uh, separate them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, though, personally, that I've ever heard of a Christian denomination doing this. Segregated yeah. uh, worship? No, I'm not sure that I have either. Like, but I, I know, I'm sure it happens. I know a lot of places do separate Bible studies. Right. And um, certainly there's but this... for the worship service itself yeah i don't think so if, if honestly if, if we're wrong uh redheads please let us know because yeah. we would love to hear about this absolutely all right and this has gone long yeah let's uh... so i think i think we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up with gender segregation which yeah i mean honestly uh, more of an up note than we've hit for most of this episode <laughs> like Gender segregation uh, yeah, yeah. in religious like, worship is a lot less upsetting than everything else that we've talked like about. It's just like showing a Wonder Woman where the dudes couldn't go. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's exactly the same thing. Handmaid's Tale, cut it, print it. God damn it, Bruce. <laughs> Some, when someone said that was like their favorite reoccurring character, I was shook. <laughs> I was Were like, you really? Yeah, because I think that's like the dumbest character I've ever made. Up. Really? What are your other characters, though? Oh, I don't know. I, I don't guess either. That's it. <laughs> I'm too tired and traumatized okay. by human events well ladies and men and non-binary friends who are listening to this take good care of yourself take care of your friends and no lite te bastardes carborundorum dum dum da dum dum da dum 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 dum